With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. So you want your charity to succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to modern day fundraising success. And practical advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect place to learn from experts around the world who, along with our host, provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also a successful author, his books cover a broad range of topics from major gift fundraising to use of social media and how to succeed online. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you maneuver through this economic downturn in the charitable sector to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. Remember, this is a live call-in show. Become part of the show by adding your voice. Call now at 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Just click on radio links. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of The Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart. And welcome here live to The Nonprofit Coach. Thank you so much for joining us uh, here for today's show. We've got a lot of guests here on the show in addition to our page two expert today, uh, who is author extraordinaire Emily Davis is going to be with us here uh, on page two. Today is... Tuesday, March 20th, I'm coming to you live from the North American headquarters of the Charities Aid Foundation of America. And as always here on the Nonprofit Coach, we start with page one news. As the announcer said, when we get to page two, you can call in. We encourage you to do so to call and ask questions of our page two expert. That number again is 347-324-3080. Uh, you often can also join me over in the chat room, although we are having trouble launching the chat room today. If you're in the chat room, I cannot see any of your posts today. So best uh, to reach me if you have a question that you would like to send in rather than calling in is to email me at tedhart.com at tedhart.com. You can follow along in the page one news radio links over at tedhart.com. Click on radio links and you'll have all of the radio links, not only for today, but the very best links uh, from all of the Nonprofit Coach radio shows. First up here is a little bit of a blast from the past. Many of you may remember Net Zero from days gone by. Uh, well, Net Zero is back and they are launching a free wireless broadband service uh, you can read all about this from Yahoo Finance over in the radio links today to find out how you can uh, receive free uh, Wi-Fi uh, broadband service from Net Zero. Next up here on the Nonprofit Coach, we want to uh, uh, welcome here to uh, the Nonprofit Coach a good friend of ours, uh, and that is Neil Galliford, 
is coming to us again from Toronto. Uh, Neil, I'm hearing great things about Digital Leap this year. Off to uh, a big start. What's going on? What's the date? And uh, hey, Neil, welcome to the Nonprofit Coach. Well, hi, Ted. It's great to, great to be here once again. So I was really pleased to be able to come on today because uh, we got an announcement to make about uh, Digital Leap or a couple of announcements. That's our uh, special digital fundraising conference, digital marketing conference for not-for-profits here in Toronto being held on uh, May 3rd. Uh, I want to let everybody know that we have secured a new plenary speaker who will be coming to talk to us about Pinterest. That's the new social media site that everybody's talking about. And Margarita Ibbett, uh, Ibbett will be uh, here to talk to our, our uh, attendees about Pinterest uh, at Digital Leap this year. And because uh, of this late announcement of uh, the addition of, of uh, Margarita, what we've decided to do is extend the early bird uh, discounts for another 10 days or so uh, to the end of March. So people can still register for the conference at the early bird, uh, at the early bird price. Uh, and that's, uh, that means big savings for people who, uh, who, who want to come to the event. Wow, that's great. So new world-class plenary speaker from Pinterest, which we've covered here uh, on the Nonprofit Coach. So terrific uh, for anyone who comes to Digital Leap to have the opportunity to hear from the experts at Pinterest uh, themselves. We do have a link over in the radio links today at tedhart.com directly to digitalleap.org for registration. As you mentioned, uh, an extension of the discount for anyone who would like to, uh, uh, to come to Digital Leap. One of the things I really like about the registration, the way it's set up for Digital Leap, is that there's a special opportunity not only to save money on the early bird, but also to save money by bringing a friend. How does that work? Oh yeah, we uh we're really pleased to to offer this because you know that it's in in charity sometimes there's you know that uh everybody's looking at the dollars and saying uh, how much they can afford but we like to get as many people out as possible. Uh we know that uh the uh the attendees often will bring a friend or a colleague from their offices. Sometimes they even bring um uh volunteers, board members, that kind of thing to uh to let them know about it. So the the double ticket is a further discount. The early bird uh, individual ticket price uh, until the end of March will be uh, $149. <clears throat> if you can bring a friend, each of you can come for only $135. So it's really good value. Uh, this is a great conference. It's being held at a wonderful location here in Toronto at the Art Gallery. Yeah, I wanted Ontario. to ask you about that because uh, this is, uh, uh, what, the third year for Digital Leap? It's the third year. It's gotten bigger every year, and I have to tell you that ticket sales are going like uh, like crazy this year. We're almost where we were last year now, and it's there's many weeks to go before the uh, the conference actually takes place. Yeah, it's really it's terrific. So one of the uh, the growth factors of this conference is a change in venue. Uh, where is Digital Leap going to be held in Toronto this year on May third? Well, anybody who came before, they experienced the wonderful uh, venue of the, the uh, Royal Conservatory of Music, but we're, we're moving it to another arts institution here in Toronto, the Art Gallery of Ontario, uh, which is a fabulous venue with uh, an amazing room. We're going to have uh, uh, a beautiful space that we're going to be operating in, and uh, and uh, it's a place where our sponsors can lay out their tables and so on, uh, and then the, the actual rooms uh, for the presentations are uh, are our first class. Who are some of the uh, the sponsors for this year's conference? 
Well, we're really happy to uh, to uh, welcome Blackbaud back to uh, uh, being a platinum sponsor to this event. Um, we also uh, have uh, JMD Solutions. Uh, we've got uh, Minerva, uh, and uh, there's a bunch more. There, I'm forgetting them right now. <laughs> Well, we'll have you back, and we'll give you an opportunity to talk about all the sponsors. But one of the things that, that's always uh, noticeable to me is that, that, you know, as a group, these sponsors really have an eye for technology and what nonprofits need, and it's uh, it's great to have them all come together and make Digital Leap such a success. Neil Galliford uh, up in Toronto talking to us today about the big news uh, that uh, the plenary for Digital Leap this year will be uh, an executive from Pinterest and therefore an extension of the discounted early bird rates and that double ticket rate. So, uh, Neil, thanks so much for uh, uh, coming on and sharing that with us. And I hope you'll, uh, you'll come on and uh, uh, share more news about Digital Leap before uh, we get to May 3rd. Well, thanks for the opportunity, Ted, and uh, I hope you have a great show. I know it's going to be interesting, so uh, uh, we'll talk soon. Well, we can't uh, fail in having a great show when we've got uh, Emily Davis as our Page 2 expert, so I'm going to get going so we can uh, get closer to Page 2 today. Neil, thanks for uh, joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, Back here on Page 1 News, I want to draw your attention to an article uh, that you may have caught uh, this week uh, over at Investment News, uh, one of the hottest topics on the Internet right now and has been for the last couple of weeks, of course, is Coney 2012 video. The Coney 2012 video uh, seeks to uh, draw attention uh, from the Invisible Children's Group uh, to highlight the atrocities against Ugandan uh, children uh, by rebel leader Joseph Coney. Uh, this draws into, of course, uh, pulls at the heartstrings. Everyone feels for these children. Certainly I do as well. Uh, but what it always does is draws attention to uh, the need to give wisely and the, the, the need and desire for for uh, donors to have the opportunity to give to vetted organizations, uh, to give safely, and particularly in the international sphere, uh, this becomes even more difficult to know that your money is going where you intend it to go. So over in the radio links today, you'll get a chance to uh, read for yourself this uh, this terrific article uh, that talks about the scrutiny uh, that is necessary for contributions uh, that myself and other philanthropic advisors uh, are sharing with uh, the investment news readers. Uh, here today, one, one of the pleasures I have, my, my listeners who have been with me for a while know uh, that I've recently become the CEO of the Charities Aid Foundation of America. One of the things that really drew me here is the importance of international giving uh, and the, uh, the importance of growing these services. One of the uh, personal pleasures that I've had uh, in getting started here as the uh, as CEO is getting a chance to uh, get to know the staff and the systems here that uh, have been built and developed for 20 years here at the uh, Charities Aid Foundation of America, also known as CAF America. Kwame Johnson is uh, joining us here on the show. He's a senior manager, uh, grants and donor relations, uh, is an expert in international giving and vet- vetting charities. This is a hot topic, uh, Kwame, this uh, Coney 2012 and Giving Safely. Yes, thank you, Mr. Ted Hart. Um, just for context, uh, the Charities Aid Foundation of America here, we enable U.S. donors to give safely, knowledgeably, and securely overseas and we offer them international grant making and advisory services. Uh, we work with over 2,500 charities in over 75 countries and make over 1,900 grants on an annual basis. As it relates to the Coney video, as you mis- mentioned, uh, Mr. Tedart, 
uh, charity vetting is key to what we do. Um, prior to any organization receiving a grant, they must go through our charity uh, vetting process, which is very rigorous. Our process combines both equivalency review and tests of expenditure responsibility to ensure safe grant making. We comply with all U.S. laws, including the Patriot Act, Executive Order, the Pension Protection Act, Cyrus and Noxley Act, and the U.S. Treasury Department guidelines for international grant making. Now, Kwame, one of the things that really impressed me about this process is how rigorous yes. uh, this process is to ensure the safety of giving internationally. There are more than 50 steps uh, to, the, uh, to the vetting process. Um, how many charities are vetted on an annual basis? We vet over 500 uh, charities on an annual basis. Um, our list of charities has grown to, grown to over 2,500. Uh, for starters, organizations must uh, submit a grant application online with their supporting documentation and also sign off on our grant agreement. We have an, actually an online portal where organiza organizations can log on, uh, access their application, submit it, save it, come back, um, and, and communicate with our grant staff. As a part of our grant agreement, the organizations must agree to comply with our terms and conditions of eligibility to include U.S. law, uh, use of grants, and financial and program reporting. Uh, once, they receive, uh, once we receive a complete ap application, there's three internal reviews uh, that they go through, which includes over 50 steps, as you mentioned. Um, a part of our review is to verify, uh, first, that the grant will be used for charitable purpose, uh, we examine the governing documents uh, to understand better how the organization is structured, how their board is structured. Uh, we look for a dissolution provision, uh, which will outline what will happen to funds if a charity, if the charity is dissolved. Uh, we require that uh, funds be uh, dedicated to a charitable purpose if that happens. Uh, we, uh, have a, we do an independent verification of their mission statement uh, by visiting their uh, website, looking at their annual reports. Um, becoming more familiar with their programs in general. And um, Kwame, the, the, the way that charities come to us, as I've learned, is that uh, donors may have a charity in mind, they correct. may have a topic area and will help them find charities that would meet the criteria, or a charity can ask to be vetted, uh, to be added to that list. And however they come and they go through that very rigorous 50-plus step process, uh, how long can they stay on the vetted list? Um, depends where their where their country of or, origin is. Uh, for for charities located in Australia, Canada, uh, the U.S. and the United Kingdom, their eligibility period is for three years. In any other country, it's for two years. And okay. that also we also uh, consider the risk level of each uh, charity that we're granting to, and that uh, goes in hand with their eligibility term. But part of the services that are provided to corporations, foundations, and high net worth uh, individuals. Um, is to to give them that that risk assessment uh, to walk them through that process to help them make that philanthropic gift. But I got to tell you, Kwame, one of the things that particularly impressed me as I as I got started here is that that vetting process doesn't just stop at the gift. That in fact, uh, board members are continuously monitored uh, for any activity that that uh, may disqualify the charity. Uh, on after the grant is made. Tell us a little bit about why that's done and how that's done. Yes, um, on a weekly basis, uh, we scan our entire database of organizations to include their board of directors, uh, key staff um, in the organization uh, through a service we use called World Checks and also Bridger, which scans over 20, 250 databases and watch lists 
to confirm there's no association with fraud, anti-money laundering, and criminal activities. And we do that on an ongoing basis. Uh, we also conduct uh, site visits throughout the year uh, for select organizations. So it, as you mentioned, it does not uh, stop. Uh, our vetting process does not stop with uh, with the application and their initial review. Uh, we have continue. Uh, we do continuing checks throughout throughout the year. Well, uh, uh, Kwame Johnson, Senior Manager, Grants and Donor Relations at the Charities Aid Foundation of America, thank you for joining us today and enlightening us on services that are available uh, in light of uh, Coney 2012 or any other philanthropic effort that uh, foundations, corporations, high net worth individuals, and charities uh, who would like to transact philanthropic business. Uh, there is a safer way to do that. There is a process through which uh, they can uh, understand the risks that they may be giving uh, uh, internationally. So thank you for joining us here today and giving us a little bit of insight um, into that process. Thank you. All right. Um, back here on uh, page one news is uh, a big announcement coming out of uh, a very important organization who have uh, been guests here on the Nonprofit Coach. Uh, in the past, uh, we have had a long association uh, with uh, the Committee Encouraging Corporate Philanthropy. Uh, one of the uh, things that uh, are underway right now, and there is a comment period that you can provide feedback to the new Global Corporate Giving Initiative. This is an opportunity uh, to launch international valuation guidelines. Welcome here to the nonprofit coach, Carmen Perez, uh, from the CECP, to uh, tell us all about why is this being done and uh, what's the uh, comment period for. Welcome here to the nonprofit coach, Carmen Perez. Thank you so much, Ted. We're so happy to be here um, again from the Committee Encouraging Corporate Philanthropy on your show um, and reaching your audience because you're right, we're just one week away from the deadline on our public comment period for our Global Corporate Giving Initiative. Um, so CECP was founded back in 1999 to raise the level and quality of corporate giving. And one way that we do that is to bring uh, business discipline to the corporate giving field. Um, that manifests itself for CCP in a multitude of measurement tools for our corporate membership, um, an annual survey, benchmarking data, an online forum for sharing and using uh, customized data requests to help companies better understand their programs um, and improve their domestic and international giving. So as you know so well, as CEO of Charities Aid Foundation here in the Americas, global giving, cross-border giving is an incredibly complex um, field. What this project is seeking to do is to take out one piece of that and bring a new level of discipline to it. Um, that is the measurement area. Um, this project is creating an international definition of what should count as a charitable contribution for corporations. Um, what should they include when they're reporting to the public, when they say in their annual report that they've given $22 million internationally, what does that mean? Um, so as you said... I mean, where, where are, what are some of the variables um, that that need to be um, standardized here. In, in other words, different companies count things in different ways, and this is, as I understand, uh, an initiative to try to create uh, a consensus around what is philanthropic and what gets counted. But what are some of the variables that, that are maybe not in place right now? Well, I think um, the major complexity that we see is that companies are creating definition, definitions internally which are based off of domestic law. So if they're a U.S. headquartered company, they may be using only a U.S. definition of a 501c3. If they're an Australian company, they may be only using the domestic uh, equivalent of 
a charity in Australia in their internal definition and reporting. So what we're trying to do, based uh, in some rigorous research done with assistance from Deloitte, is find consensus among all those domestic uh, policies and standards and regulations and create this agreed-upon um, standard or system that all companies can use regardless of where they're giving domestically or internationally. That's great. Over in the radio links today at tedhart.com, you can find a direct link uh, to the Global Corporate Giving Initiative. And when they get there, uh, Carmen, um, they're going to find an opportunity to provide feedback and comment uh, to the guidelines that are being proposed. What's the deadline and, and what are you hoping to learn from this feedback period? Um, well, we're hoping that everyone from all sectors will consider uh, going onto this site and reading the proposal. There's a two-page proposal, the standard of the proposed global valuation guidance, um, and then there's a, a link to give feedback. So when you go on that page, you'll see that there's a series of questions um, which you can click through and provide responses to any of those that apply to you. Um, we also put my email address on that website because we hope that everyone will feel free to provide comment in whatever format makes sense for them. If they have one particular issue they want to highlight and they just want to send us a note related to that, if they want to make a, con a full statement, they can do that as well. Um, so we're very open to all sectors um, providing comment in the way that they see most appropriate for them. Right. So it is possible for someone to post a public feedback, which, which of course, uh, the Charities Aid Foundation of America will be posting um, our public comment and support uh, for this initiative, but uh, for someone who might be a little bit more shy or is not looking to have something posted, it is possible for them to send a private message to you uh, asking questions, sharing feedback, or, or, or having their comments counted um, as you're uh, working towards the guidelines. Yeah, that's right. We use the term public comment to just mean that we're Open, it's a public proposal. It's available for everyone to read, um, and anyone is able to respond to what we've put forth. Um, all comments will actually be kept internal um, whenever we have an endorsement, like a, a statement of support from the United Nations Global Compact, for example. We certainly share that on our website, but a company or a nonprofit or an individual who wishes to provide comment should feel confident that it will be um, kept confidential and will be used for the purposes of advancing um, the project and the standard. That's great. Now, um, when once you the feedback ends and everybody does need to have their comments in, I believe by March 27th, is that right? That's correct. So um, once that passes, there'll be an internal review and there will be uh, final guidelines that will be uh, that will be posted. Uh, what's your your hope in terms of getting uh, a final set of guidelines posted for the community? Yep, you're right. So the, the public comment period, the deadline is March 27th, um, and between then we will actually plan for a public exposure of the final, uh, the final global valuation guidance at CCP's Corporate Philanthropy Summit, um, which is June 5th and 6th. So it will be just three, two or three short months until we'll have that final proposal. Well, that's great. Well, I hope that uh, I, uh, CECP will be back here on the Nonprofit Coach to share with us the outcome uh, of this important initiative. And uh, Carmen Perez uh, from the Committee Encouraging Corporate Philanthropy, thank you so much for coming on today and illuminating us on the importance of the feedback uh, period, but also the overall initiative. Our thanks to you and all your listeners. You bet. So we are uh, now uh, wrapping up here on uh, page one news. What that means is it's time for page two.
such a pleasure today for me to have the opportunity to welcome here to the uh, nonprofit coach Emily Davis, uh, who, in addition to all the other wonderful things that she does, she is the author of the Fundraising and the Next Generation book, Tools for Engaging the Next Generation of Philanthropists. As was mentioned uh, on last week's show, this is not only a terrific text, but it's also uh, an important part of the AFP Wiley uh, uh, book series, which means that today is officially the AFP Wiley radio show. Here, Emily Davis, for more than 15 years, Emily has been committed to the nonprofit sector as an employee, trainer, board member, philanthropist, and consultant. Emily's upbringing included a significant mix of philanthropic and nonprofit exposure, which is where her passion for nonprofit work started. In college, Emily shifted her focus from a career in dance to full-time commitment to the nonprofit sector. Emily's work in ending violence against women and women's health proved to be an enormous asset as, at, to her as she formally launched her nonprofit work. She currently serves as executive director for the Hemophilia Society in Colorado uh, and is also um, author, as I mentioned, of Fundraising and the Next Generation. Welcome here on the Nonprofit Coach, Emily Davis. Hi. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, Emily, well, we're excited to have you. This uh, This book has been so well and appropriately well re, uh, reviewed. Uh, I'm looking at uh, uh, one of the, uh, the the reviews here. That Emily Davis is the underline and bold the expert on the next wave of donors fundraising in the next generation needs to be in the library of every fundraising professional. We happen to agree uh, with that, so much so that we've provided uh, a link in the radio links today so people can get a copy of this book. Uh, Emily has written the definitive guide to fundraising across generations. So let, let's start off before we get into the book, which I definitely want to talk about today, uh, and learn a little bit more about uh, Emily Davis. You do consulting. You're also executive director for the Hemophilia Society of Colorado. How do you balance all those things? <laughs> it's a good question. Um, I think, uh, you know, uh, I'm fueled on pure passion. Um, I find non the nonprofit and philanthropic communities fascinating. Um, and <clears throat> I'm definitely, you know, I was one of those young people starting out volunteering in the nonprofit sector and, um, just taking every opportunity I could to learn and grow and be innovative. And um, I think that had took me, um, continues to take me down a path where I just have a diversity of interests in um, nonprofit, nonprofit and philanthropic work. So I've had the opportunity to serve in a lot of different capacities. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to going back to full-time consulting at some point because I really I love that. Um, but it's hard to keep up with myself, <laughs> all the stuff that I'm interested in. Right, right. Well, I mean, that kind of balance, but but it also keeps you very grounded in some of the topics that, that you talk about uh, mm -hmm. talk about in this book. Uh, now, you're headquartered out in uh, in Colorado. Uh, does that does that give you particular insight into uh, into the topics that you're covering in this book? You know, it's um, it's interesting. The I don't know. Uh, there's definitely some geographic um, help. I mean, it, Colorado is an incredible place for the nonprofit community. We do amazing work, but I spent a lot of time um, traveling around the country and the world and having conversations. Um, and just again, just 
learning, um, I, you know, I grew up in Wisconsin in a family that was incredibly focused on volunteerism, incredibly philanthropic, um, and it really had an impact for me. So I sort of grew up with that experience, those Midwestern values, um, and eventually went to work for nonprofits in Colorado and um, saw uh, a lot of what I felt was difficulty related to being a young person in the nonprofit sector and started studying and researching multi-generational issues there and then ended up in San Diego for a while, um, starting an organization, getting really engaged in um, consulting for multi-generational family philanthropies, um, was in San Francisco, was in New York, working with Resource Generation, lots of different groups um, all around the country sort of informed the different perspectives I've had um, and felt like that would be really useful for other people to know about. And, and Emily, um, there, let's, let's get down to brass tacks here. I mean, the reality <laughs> is there is not a, a charity executive listening today who doesn't desire to do exactly what you're writing about, and that is to connect with the next generation of philanthropists. But, right. but it's hard to relate uh, to that when you're not part of, of that, that age segment. So let's, let's define, first of all, what do you mean by next generation? You bet. Um, I'm so glad that you want to get down to that because this is one of my favorite parts of things to talk about. Um, next gen, I really define it as folks who are about 40 and under. And I focus mostly on Gen X and Gen Y. Um, the next generation um, has been called Gen Z. There's some other uh, sort of categories coming out for those folks. I don't focus on them. We're always going to have new generations coming into our world, right? That's just life. Um, so I focus primarily on Gen X and Gen Y, folks. Um, now, what, what makes in their them set apart? Why, I mean, why focus mm -hmm. on, on them? Why would that matter uh, to right. have such a focus for charities listening today? Well, one of the things that I have always found really interesting is, um, and, and, you know, part of this conversation happened with for me as I became more engaged with social media. media. I was a late adopter. I was not an early adopter. And so there was a lot of overlap between the conversations I was having with people about social media and next gen, fundraising from the next gen. And so I had a lot of folks saying things like, well, they're all online, meaning next-gen, they're all online, and I don't know how to use social media. And for some reason, that was just the rationale, and we're not going to deal with it because we don't have the capacity. Right, and, and, I felt, and, and that's an issue yeah. that, that a lot of organizations have is, is I desire to make the connection, but then immediately mm -hmm. I don't really understand the, <laughs> sort of the, the, the way that that conversation is happening in social media. And even if right. I did understand it, I don't have – the capacity, the staff, that it seems that I need to be able to manage that. So what's the answer to all of that for, you know, the above 40 crowd that's listening today and desires to connect with this group? Well, I think there's a couple things. One is that we as nonprofit professionals or philanthropic professionals really need to sort of check our assumptions because while it's super helpful to have some um, categorization and generalization about um, groups of people, it's also important to remember that, you know, not everybody is on Facebook. And Facebook is not the relationship builder. It is not the tool. It is a tool, just like any social media. It's a way to create relationships and cultivate and steward. But it is not the, the, uh, the end point for relationships in fundraising. 
Right. Simultaneously. And, and as we share here on the Nonprofit yeah. Coach and the Six Pillars of Success, um, Facebook is actually down the list pretty far. Um, <laughs> not to say it's not important, but there are many things that are far more important. Um, so it sounds like you, you agree with that, that principle. Yeah. If, if that's the case, then mm-hmm. where do you start? Or what, what are your recommendations to uh, help charities really understand this space? Right. Well, I think the first and foremost thing is to have multiple generations on your radar, right? So we didn't always have the Internet. We didn't always have direct mail. We didn't always have fax machines. There's always going to be something new and different. So in that way, this is really the platforms that we communicate are really, they're new, but the concepts, you know, there's always going to be new stuff. So using social media might be part of the the pieces. The thing that I, I feel like a lot of people are missing is that, these folks are already in your organization. They may be volunteers. They may be kids of um, some of your, like, planned givers, um, your major donors. They're folks in your community. So there's other organizations that you can partner with on things. Um, that, you know, one of the things I talk about is that, yeah, there is a time investment, um, and that's a reality, and all of us struggle with capacity. You're always going to be balancing that no matter what, and I completely understand that. The thing is is that if, as nonprofit leaders, we don't invest some time in working with, building relationships with the next generation of givers, we won't have major donors in the future. Right. You know, like, so so right. This, this, is, this is about planning for the future. This is about connecting uh, to a new generation. Um, is it marketably different from the generations that maybe are focused on right now because of where the wealth may be located, which is, you know, senior to uh, 240, maybe in 50s, 60s, 70s? Um, mm-hmm. Is there a marked difference between these generations? You talk about the next generation. What mm-hmm. about the current generation? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, good question. I think that one of the things that I talk about in the book that I'm particularly excited about is that relationships don't change. People still want to have a one-on-one connection. Um, they still want to be considered, and there's really there's great stories about all kinds of people who have those experiences. So in that way, I think there's a real similarity across the board and actually, next-gen folks want to be really involved. And I think, you know, most philanthropists, they, as we know from research, that lifelong giving to a particular organization starts in the 30s, and it doesn't matter what generation you're talking about. And that there is a, a sense of passion and idealism and participation that happens for people in their 30s and 40s that doesn't, in 20s, that really doesn't change in terms of, you know, when you start giving. As so you one get of the older, things that you mentioned yeah. um, in your book, and you actually go into uh, a fair amount of detail, and I was wondering if you might spend a little bit of time uh, mm-hmm. on it uh, now, is this notion of, uh, it, well, you come right out and say it, you say volunteering is philanthropy, <laughs> and, and isn't that part of the equation here? Yes, absolutely. I think one of the things that may, may in fact, look a, a bit different um, with the younger generations is that they consider time philanthropy. Um, And so volunteering to me is another pipeline to donors. So I, you know, in in fundraising we talk about this giving pyramid. And I actually look at it as more of a circle in that you're constantly wanting to bring donors into your inner circle, increase their connection, increase their um, investment in giving. 
And so part of that outer circle and maybe even middle circle are these volunteers. You want to get volunteers involved. And there's great stories of, and this is, listen, this is nothing terribly new. You know, we're constantly looking at how can we engage people more. We ask them to sit on boards. We ask them to sit on committees. We ask them to participate in projects. The next generation wants to be engaged in more than writing a check. And if they're engaged in more than writing a check, they are more likely to write that check, to make a gift. Let's talk more about that because I, I, I'm not sure, and, and you kind of point this out, that there yeah. really is an understanding of that connection mm-hmm. um, when you're trying to meet your, your budget goals, <laughs> that there is a pathway, and that pathway for the next generation uh, may be much more um, direct connection, even though we focus so much on social media. Absolutely. Um, Again, to me, social media is a pipeline. I feel like volunteerism is a pipeline. But if we're talking about building relationships and cultivating donations, building those volunteering is a great place to build those relationships. Um, And and I think you know, really like skilled volunteering, not just um, filing, which is important. Don't get me wrong, but some skilled volunteering to get. And, uh, give people an opportunity, whatever the age, to get to know your organization and really serve as an ambassador for your organization. I think the networking piece, both in person and online, that this generation, these generations have is really powerful. And if we as nonprofit leaders give those volunteers opportunities to be ambassadors for us by talking to them and taking, you know, five more minutes than we thought we had, it can really pay off. And there's great and isn't examples that, of isn't that, that part, partly where that connection for the next generation is that volunteering is social, and mm-hmm. social media is one of the ways that they volunteer. Mm-hmm. So understanding that connection, that it's not social media is the silver bullet. If I just get a Facebook page, I start raising money. Right. And just having a volunteer isn't a social is isn't the silver bullet. It's actually when you start connecting and understanding that this next generation desires to be social in their volunteering and mm-hmm. using social media to enhance their volunteering. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, the the really cool thing about uh, the next generation is that they they integrate all of these pieces. You know, millennials are a group, Gen Y, are a group of people who have, more often than not, have grown up with service learning in a way that no other generation has. So in high school, they're doing service learning projects to help with college applications or as part of some project, and they're online talking about it, you know, whether it's good or bad. So, as, as again, as nonprofit leaders, we have a responsibility to try and make those experiences beneficial because they could very easily come back to us later on. And I think a great example of that in the book is a story of a woman who, and I'll I'll make it short, but she was volunteering for an organization for a number of years. And the more she volunteered, the more she saw the need. She started giving. Her donations started getting larger. She left the organization to move on to some other things. And the organization basically dropped her. They just stopped cultivating her. Well, what they didn't know is she'd put them in her will for an amount of money that was the entire size of their budget. And because they had just sort of written her off as being young, she felt like they had written her off because she was young and just didn't really cultivate her, she pulled that. 
She removed it from her will. And they never knew that she, they were in her will. They never knew that she had taken them out. But those are the kinds of things that we may not see as fundraising professionals. And it can be a right, lot because, without because even knowing. Because they failed it. to understand that connection that you talk about yes. uh, in, uh, in your book. Uh, Emily, we're just going to take a, a quick little station break. Uh, we'll sure. be right back. When, when we get, uh, get back, I was wondering if you could uh, speak um, more directly to this notion of social media and what my listeners are going to need to do in 2012 to start integrating uh, these tools to make it possible to succeed with the next generation. Uh, we'll be right back. to make sure that you uh, grab your calendar. As you're grabbing your calendar, what we want to do is uh, make sure that you uh, are well aware of some of the changes to our schedule here on The Nonprofit Coach. No change for next week. Very excited. Uh, author Sandy Rees, CFRE, will be here with us uh, Tuesday, March 27th, uh, 2012, uh, will be here with us. Uh, and, uh, and then after that, uh, will be um, no show on April 3rd. We'll all be up at the AFP International Conference in Vancouver. Uh, you will, of course, be able to access all of the archives of the Nonprofit Coach uh, right at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. Now, after that, please mark your calendar because this is a change in date. Very, very exciting uh, news coming about Tuesday, April 10th. Tuesday, April 10th is going to be the big Earth Day show in partnership with Green Nonprofits. Org. Um, some more information will be coming on the Big Earth Day show. Following that uh, is April 17th. Ken Berger, the president and CEO of Charity Navigator, will be here uh, celebrating the 10th anniversary of Charity Navigator and talking about several of the changes that are taking place there. Mark your calendar, uh, no show uh, on April 24th. Your host's uh, birthday is April 23rd, and there will be no show on April 24th. We will be back the week after that. So please mark your calendar. All of these, of course, are available over in the radio links. There's a link to the change in the schedule for you right there. Uh, with that, we're going to head right back to Emily Davis, the author of Fundraising and the Next Generation. Thanks. Emily, uh, we're back here. Um, help us understand this uh, this link. You sort of talked a little bit about social networking. What is real? What what is supposed to be uh, uh, on the radar for all of our listeners today? Well, I think one of the things that can be overwhelming, um, it certainly has been for me, um, is the amount of social media platforms that people can use and how to use each one and. So one of the things I spend a lot of time talking about in the book and just consulting and all, all that is strategy behind social media. No matter what the social media tool is that you're using, to be clear about why you are using it, um, also listening on those social media platforms, watching and listening to what people are talking about, asking questions, and remembering that, like you said earlier, Social media is not a silver bu bullet. What it is, is it's a type of stewardship. So it's a way to share what's happening with your organization in those bite-sized pieces and to ask people what they think 
you know, you don't even need to have a focus group to find out if somebody's excited about an upcoming program. You can ask the question online. Um, and to know that it's a two-way street. You know, we're, we're engaged in transparency here. So there is opportunity for dissent, some critical feedback, as well as positive feedback. Um, and not everybody's going to use social media. But it is another uh, tool in our fundraising toolbox to help share the successes and the challenges of the organization and to engage in dialogue, which we hope leads to those deeper relationships. Now, Emily, you've just said some words that are very scary to uh, a lot of nonprofit executives when you talk about feedback coming on <laughs> social, social networking sites. Um, and, and I hear this all the time, what if someone says something mean? Mm-hmm. How um, do you deal with that? Yeah, I mean, that is a question that, I mean, it's probably the scariest question for a lot of people is what happens when somebody criticizes. So, and this, um, as an executive director, I deal with this all the, all the time, frankly, um, is people will come in and say, well, why didn't I hear about that program? Or I completely disagree. And to me, it's actually fantastic because I have the opportunity in a public way to respond and say, I'm so sorry you didn't receive that information. Here are a number of places that we have that information available. Do you have feedback on how we can improve what we do? And it demonstrates that I'm listening. It gives me an opportunity to share information that will help inform others. And it shows that I care about what people think. Now, there is always going to be the fear that something wildly inappropriate um, is posted online, which is where you have social media policies, both internal and external. So an internal policy looks like what can your staff, volunteers, um, board members post and what can't they post. The external policy is you're not on staff at our organization sort of where are the boundaries. And these things can be very simple, but at least you have a little bit of insurance if something gets out of hand. I have yet to see that happen. Maybe I've seen it once, and that's it, in all the years I've been doing this. So um, I do think dissension is an opportunity to engage in dialogue and to come up with some creative solutions and to ask people to get involved. Now, in your book, uh, you have uh, um, uh, really artfully provided worksheets, plans, and templates uh, for folks to be able to use. What I'd like to do is uh, we're just going to share a little piece of information here with everybody. When we come back in about 24 seconds, uh, Emily, I just wanted to ask you to kind of walk through uh, when people get a copy of, of your book, which we certainly think that they should. What are they mm -hmm. going to find in those, in those worksheets? We'll be right back. Okay. Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. And Emily, before we get into the worksheets, plans, and templates that are available, we do have an email uh, question uh, from John in Tampa. I, I'm thinking he uh, must have a copy of your book uh, because he's <laughs> asking about how is social media a plant. Ah, yes. Okay, I'm so glad he asked. So the social media is a plant concept is. Um, sort of what you said earlier, Ted, about if you set up a Facebook page, you just can't expect a windfall of money. So social media is a plant in that, like a plant, 
if you don't water it, it dies. So social media, if you set up a Twitter handle or a Facebook page and don't do anything with it, nothing will happen. So you have to water your social media the same way you would a plant in order for it to grow. And having a social media plan, whether it's sophisticated or very simple, is really helpful in that sort of watering process. And that and that's and that that's all part about having your your groups grow, right? That uh, right. Um, it, you start with those those small seeds, uh, yes. if you will, and then um, it grows from there. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think I do this social media training series, and at the beginning of the training series, everyone in the class is always very scared. Like, how am I going to do this? It's so overwhelming. And I remind them just of that point. We're going to start with the low-hanging fruit. We're going to start with very small seeds. You have to create a foundation, and you can work from there. But if, you can, if you're planning your strategy and you're being thoughtful about it, you'll save a lot of time um, and energy in, in using social media. Now, I, I, I want to jump over because I don't want us to run out of time today. These <laughs> terrific worksheets, plans, and templates uh, that you have in here now. Now, two of them really uh, draw attention and, and I think are, are so worthwhile for folks, the social media plan worksheet and mm -hmm. the social media plan outline. Mm -hmm. um, well, I would say first about that entire appendix is that I feel like as a nonprofit professional, it's really lovely to talk in theory about some of these things, um, and it's interesting, but at the end of the, the day, I need the tools to actually implement it, so help me out here. So this, that's, this appendix is probably my favorite part of the book for that reason, and the social media plan and worksh worksheet and outline, those were pieces that I felt like I had created, again, as a late adopter of social media, and I kept working with organizations and needing some platform to help me remember what are the pieces I need to cover in writing a social media plan? What are the questions I need to ask? So how do I take inventory to know where I am and where I need to go? And those pieces are just really a way, simple pieces for people to answer some questions for themselves, figure out where they want to go without having to reinvent the wheel. It's, it's Social media, believe it or not, is ro not rocket science, but it's hard to know where to begin. Well, and so where, where is that low-hanging fruit, or what, what is your advice mm -hmm. to uh, help charities prioritize? Because mm -hmm. I, I think, you know, certainly anyone who's listening to the Nonprofit Coach knows that this is extremely important, not only now, but even more importantly for the future of the organization. Um, but how do you get started? Where do you get started? And, and what is that low-hanging fruit? You bet. So um, a, a little bit of a disclaimer is that it is different for every organization because it depends on where your expertise, passion, and existing social media platforms are. To me, the best place to start is with listening and learning. So, for example, if your um, organization has a Facebook page, you know, start to look at what other organizations are doing with their Facebook pages, especially if they're similar organizations. If you run a health group, um, look at what other health groups are doing and listen to, look at what you like and what you don't like about how they're posting. And then start to play around with it. You know, one of the first things I always see in my trainings is start at home. Dive right in. You have to play around with it. And I know there's a great fear that, oh, I'm going to make a mistake. Your mistakes are going to happen one way or another, and that's the way we learn. Um, you know, I have posted on the wrong Twitter feed before. 
everyone at the end of the day lived and it was completely fine. You know, <laughs> right, right. I mean, you really, you really can't, uh, you can't break it. You're more, you're uh, right. There, there is a, a great forgiveness uh, to uh, to social media, uh, but you also have to lighten up a bit too. I mean, is, yes. isn't there a sense that you know I have to be perfect all the time? <laughs> And and that sort of belies the the notion of just being social as opposed to being promotional. You know, absolutely. And one of the things that I started doing for my my company with blog posts was to put up a funny cartoon every once in a while just to lighten it up. And, you know, I work with some of my colleagues who on their personal Facebook pages write some really funny stuff that I'm like, I – I appreciate being able to laugh. Give me a giggle every once in a while. All the work we do is really important, and it can be really heavy. And it's absolutely fine to throw in something light every once in a while. Throw in successes. Tell a great story. You know, what would inspire you as a human? And share that with others. You're right. We're good. It's Again, we're... Um, for some organizations, they're working to cure cancer, so they're using social media, but social media isn't the answer to major problems. Again, it's a tool to help us spread the word, learn, so on and so forth. Right. And, and, that's, and that's really the, the, uh, the key. Of course, we mentioned today that uh, the Big Digital Leap Conference up in Toronto uh, is going to have uh, Pinterest as, uh, as the uh, uh, the keynote plenary uh, speaker, and, and that's a, a terrific format to use what you're talking about where where artwork, cartoons, photos uh, become the, the, the posted content. Um, so that, that all lies into the whole social media that's not just one platform. It's not just Facebook. That's right. That's right. And I think, um, again, Listening and learning, um, the nice thing is there are so many organizations who are online, who are doing innovative things. They're, listen, we all steal, borrow from each other in terms of the strategy. I think the bottom line for me is that you have a foundation and that you have a strategy and um, can uh, you know, put in measurement tools that you can evaluate and again, this is—it sounds scary, and it's actually really simple, which is nice. I mean, we don't have to. The nice thing about social media is, I would much rather take ten minutes a day up, updating my Facebook page or Twitter rather than stamping and labeling a direct mail piece. I, I would be happy to trade that any day of the week. <laughs> and, and those and those truly are options that, uh, mm-hmm. in, in terms of use of your time. Uh, do need to be considered by uh, by charitable organizations. Absolutely. And at um, my organization, we do have a communications plan. It's not a 30-page plan. It's a plan that says we are using social media for this. We will use direct mail for that. This is how we go about it. Because if I win the lottery tomorrow, um, I want somebody to have that information so they can pick up where I left off. There's a, a continuity <laughs> and a and a commitment to our missions that are beyond ourselves. And so how do we set that up for some long-term success? And to go back to the point about volunteers, is that that's a great way to engage volunteers. If you have a plan and you need help posting, that's a great place to ask volunteers to come in and help. Right, exactly. And, and, and of course, you need volunteers to make social media work because it's right. the social network that, that makes it work. It's not because you post content. 
Exactly, exactly. Or else you're just talking to yourself, which is right. fine, which but is it might not help anyone. your mission. Uh, listen, yeah. uh, Emily, I, I want to just share with uh, with you and uh, and with the audience today uh, an exciting new feature that's going to actually be starting here on the Nonprofit Coach starting next month on April 10th. Uh, we're going to have uh, Eva Aldrich, who uh, was a, 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 a guest here on the Nonprofit Coaches, the brand-new president and CEO as CFRE International, CFRE.org. And we are now going to uh, have once a month, we're going to have uh, uh, Eva on with the CFRE Minute uh, to help folks understand the importance of certification, drawing attention to, uh, to that platform and uh, for uh, that initiative in our sector. So I wanted to share that with you and also share that with our, our listeners that uh, that will be coming up uh, in less than a month. That's great. So back here um, to, uh, I, it's amazing how fast time goes. We're almost <laughs> out of time uh, here on the show. Fundraising and the next generation. It really is about engagement, as you point out uh, through this book, that there there really is not just what list do I rent? How many emails do I send out? What is sort of the mechanics of connecting? Uh, that, uh, that this is really the epitome of social fundraising, that it really is the networking, using volunteering as philanthropy, connecting with folks through online uh, communications. Now, you mentioned in here, and I, I just – very quickly, because I don't want to miss the opportunity for folks to uh, – uh, to learn from you, uh, understanding family philanthropy, where does that tie into the next generation? You bet. So we're looking at a huge transfer of wealth um, coming in the near future, and I felt like it was really important for fundraisers to have multi-generational family philanthropies on their radars. So small donor advised funds, large foundations um, that have family members involved, there's multiple generations engaged and reaching out to one generation and not the others can really be cutting off your nose to spite your face. And so I think that understanding the inside perspective of philanthropy and multi-generational philanthropy will help us as fundraisers. I have certainly been on the inside of some of that, and it can be very difficult for younger generations who feel like they're invisible compared to their parents or grandparents. And it's a real opportunity for non it's subtle, but it's a real opportunity for nonprofits to provide opportunities and dialogue with multiple generations and ask what people are interested in and how they like to get involved. I think there's great examples of how that can be done. Well, and Josie Heath, the president of the Community Foundation serving Boulder uh, County out in Colorado, uh, made that point uh, in a slightly different way, but I think it's a point that you're making, that yeah. uh, she says of your book, uh, that you point out that there can be no kids' table at Thanksgiving when it comes to fundraising, that it really is a family affair. You know what? It's absolutely true. And I think one of the things that um, sometimes we do is that we don't think about diversity in terms of age, and we put younger generations at a kids' table in our head. And it's not malicious. I just think it happens. But we need to be more inclusive and thoughtful about all ages being engaged in our organizations where we are able to do so because I think it helps us um, be seen as credible and caring organizations. Philanthropists want to know that they're important. They always will, no matter what their age. 
and all that is wrapped up in this terrific new AFP Wiley uh, book, AFP's uh, uh, series, uh, has Fundraising in the Next Generation, Tools for Engaging the Next Generation of Philanthropists. Emily Davis, thank you for being my guest here today on The Nonprofit Coach. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to The Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad-friendly podcast at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to The Nonprofit Coach. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.